Welcome to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz, a candid conversation as we learn about types of dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, frontal temporal, and Lewy body, and the effects on the people we love. Jill's years of dedication and experience help you adapt, overcome obstacles, and find positive outcomes. It's time for Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Well, hello, my friends. I hope everyone's doing well. I wanted to talk today about the concept and techniques of validation theory. I think it's important to understand that when we are working with our people with Alzheimer's, that we we kind of get not only where they are in, in a point of time, but how do we communicate with them when they've gone silent? That's a whole nother chapter. That's a whole nother thing. And validation theory was developed for communicating with old, old people who are diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease and related dementias, you know, like Parkinson's, late stage Parkinson's, or maybe even um, frontal temporal, where they can't speak anymore if they have the motor type or whatever it is, right? And... It was really it was really to help people who were disoriented in nursing homes. And over the years, the people that had the dementia type of Alzheimer's tended to engage in similar kinds of behaviors like smacking their arms or legs or involuntary uh, motor movements uh, where they would swing their arms back and forth or do sort of a Parkinson-style shaking and things like that. And there are some traits that can clue us into it, just like the ones I was talking about. But, you know, part of it is that between, you know, like 1963 and 1980, a person named um, Naomi File, she created this validation theory, and it was formed on a set of beliefs about why old people behave the way they do and trying to understand their behavior. And it wasn't necessarily people with Alzheimer's, but then as, as time went on, Naomi was able to uh, take the techniques for communicating with older people as a gerontologist and use it for uh, how to communicate with somebody who was virtually nonverbal in an Alzheimer's memory unit. And the staff there needed it badly. I mean, today they need it badly. They need validation theory training often just so they know how to work with someone who cannot speak to them and what do we need to do to to really help them with what they're trying to tell us. How do we read this, right? And so validation, it's based on an attitude of respect and empathy for that person. And by empathy, meaning you can kind of feel their pain. You can understand maybe their sadness. And that's what, what that's all about. But they're also trying to resolve unfinished business before they die. That's what Naomi thought. She thought that that she needed to clarify why they were having the behaviors they were having. And is it because they are struggling to resolve unfinished business in their life? And I thought, I actually, I've watched her on video after video on YouTube. Um, she has a really famous one with a person named Gladys that is just mind-blowing. 
And as she talks to Gladys, she starts to sing with her, and, and Gladys starts to sing with her as well. And the two of them communicate on a level that is just... It, it just blows you away, and it, it'll just about bring you to tears because it's so powerful. So she, what she's trying, what she was trying to do was provide disoriented old, old, old people <laughs> with an empathetic listener, somebody that's not judging them, um, somebody that accepts their view of reality, and builds a trust with that old person, and the validating caregiver. As they are trying to work with this person, anxiety is reduced and the need to restrain them for any reason with chemical restraints or anything else is reduced and the sense of self, self-worth self is restored. So the physical and social fun- functioning improve when somebody is a, in a vegetative state and are trying to understand what you're saying to them. And they're trying to internalize the feelings that you're putting out towards them. So, for example, in her Gladys situation, she literally, uh, Gladys had not had a visitor in like four years. I mean, literally four years. No one had come to see her. Family stopped coming. Uh, Somebody was paying, an insurance company was paying her bills, but In general, she had nobody except for the nursing home staff who ever spoke to her. And as Gladys sat knee-to-knee with her and and started to talk uh, uh, to—Naomi sat knee-to-knee with Gladys and started talking to her, um, Gladys would start pounding on her leg to the sound and the beat of Naomi's voice. And eventually, uh, Naomi was singing to her, Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. And as she was singing to her, Gladys started uh, pounding on Naomi's arm. And about 10 minutes into it, she sang with her. She had not spoken a word. She had not communicated with anybody in literally four years. And she was singing with her. And it was just an absolutely amazing thing to watch. And I have talked about using the same type of music therapy in care communities. And I just think that this process of being able to reach someone in the deep recesses of their mind is such a beautiful thing. And for many, many people who have a loved one that is in the uh, nursing home, that is in a memory unit and hasn't spoken for a long time, I'm really hoping that you're listening today and that you will maybe take some of this to heart and try it. So the principles of validation, what are they? So the following things that I'm going to tell you, they're, they're just, they're being human. I guess you could say they're, they're humanistic approaches. It's all about reaching that, pe- that person to where their beliefs are and where their values are and what rocks their boat, what, what floats their boat for them, right? Because we know all people are unique. They are. And you can't treat everybody the same way. One size does not fit all, right? 
And people, especially with Alzheimer's in memory units, they want to feel like they're valuable. No matter how disoriented they are, even if they're talking to you in word salad, they want you to know that they're trying to communicate with you in some way, even if it doesn't make sense. But but we have to try to just listen and, and read their facial expressions and are they smiling? Are they frowning? Are they about to cry? Are they grimacing? What's going on, right? And there is always a reason behind the behavior of a disoriented person. Always. There's some unmet need that they are trying to communicate. Every form of behavior is communication. And it's our job to look and see what it is, right? And behavior in old, old age, I mean, really, <laughs> old people, like, and I'm sorry, people in their 90s. I'm, all right, that's kind of old. You know, they may they may look a little younger for if they're healthy and so forth. But to, in the general world, um, 90, 95 is getting into an old, old age. And <clears throat> behavior at that time isn't uh, merely a function of anatomic changes in the brain. You know, everything that's happening uh, from a physiological or psychological standpoint, but it's also a combination of physical and social changes that take place over that person's lifespan. And that would lead us to some of the discoveries of possibly what they could be communicating about or reacting to. Is it a certain genre of music? Is it hearing a certain person's voice? Is it a game show that's on? You know, what is it that they are reacting to, right? And then they have to be accepted non-judgmentally. They have to feel like your face isn't saying, man, I don't understand a word she says. I've said it so many times over the years that people with Alzheimer's will feed off of your emotions. They absolutely can read your facial expressions. They can, um, they can see if you look anxious or if you look confused. So just try smiling at them and acting like you know what they're saying. They may just want a hug. They may just want to laugh. They may say something to you that makes absolutely no sense, but they think it's funny and start laughing. So part of this validation theory is to just accept them on their level and try to figure out what they're trying to communicate to you. Okay? So, you know, particular life tasks, things that we've done our entire life. Uh, we always did the um, shopping. We always uh, cooked the meal, whatever it was, right? Um, they are associated with each stage of life. So if they have a failure to complete a task at the appropriate stage of life, that might lead to psychological problems when they are overcome with the symptoms of Alzheimer's. So they could see somebody washing dishes and feel like they never got any help washing dishes and start crying or banging a table or yelling or something like that. So our job with validation theory is to try to figure out what that person is trying to communicate. 
And when you have empathy for them, it builds trust. When you have a look on your face like you're trying to understand what they're saying, they're going to try to babble on to you because they they feel like that you're restoring their dignity and you're reducing their anxiety and they're feeling okay about themselves, right? So to understand a person's behavior, um, their physical strengths, their social needs, their psychological needs, you have to know them. You have to know them. That is what person-centered care is all about. You have to know that person. I tell people when I'm training in communities that if you don't know the person, you can't care for them. You can't. Because once they're in a community, half the time they're speaking word salad anyway. They're not communicating well. Things they're saying don't make sense. They're living in a different time zone in their mind. Um, You know, things like that. So, you know, behavior can't be judged as appropriate or inappropriate unless it's viewed within the context of those needs, that person's time frame, where they are in time. And people go back in time as the disease progresses. We have to know their history. We have to know what they're talking about if they are are communicating at least to some degree about maybe having to go to work when they've been retired for 40 years or whatever it is. They need to go pick up their babies. What time frame are they in there? If they're 80 years old and they have to go pick up their babies, they think they're a 20-year-old young mom. So this is what this is all about. It's trying to understand you know, where they are. So when you're trying to to do this and you're trying to figure it out, I want to give you an example. A community that I do a lot of work with here in town was telling me that they're getting a mean girls club. (laughs) And, And that these these women who all have Alzheimer's, who are anywhere from 65 to 85, are swearing at each other. And they're kicking each other. And uh, they will lay down on a couch and put their feet on somebody else's lap when, you know, that other person doesn't want them to. And that person will push their feet off like you would uh, naturally if you didn't want someone's feet on you. And um, a fight ensues where somebody, a person actually flicked another person in the head. (laughs) And if you know what I mean, you take your middle finger with your thumb and you flick a person. And so when she called me and we were talking, we were talking about a client that I have staying in her community. She was telling me about this. So what age are these people in their minds? They're teenagers. They're teenagers, right? They're just as an example, a 13 year old is expected to rebel, be a rebel. They really are. But an an 82-year-old is not. But if the 82-year-old thinks that they are 13, they might. So physically, (laughs) this is like having the glands in their body changing, making it difficult to control behaviors. Teenagers swear at their parents, right? They slam doors, and then they become contrite. They act like you, you don't know anything. You know, they're they're 12 and they know everything and you're, you know, however old you are and you don't know anything. Oh, if you've been a parent, you, you understand what I've just said, right? So we know that this may be a normal psychological, social, and physiological reaction for a teenager. 
right? And we wouldn't label that as like manic depressive or anything. But the same behavior in a 85-year-old woman who abuses the other residents and then becomes depressed might be diagnosed as man, manic depressive. They might, but they're not. They're just behaving like the 13-year-old that they feel they are. So we have to view the behaviors that we're looking at from a person that is not very communicative, speaking in word salad, doing physical things to other people, or all of a sudden they're cussing up a storm, dropping F-bombs and calling somebody the B-word or whatever it is. Um, We have to look at what stage of life they could possibly be in that is causing them to behave in that manner. Okay, and that's where validation theory and practice is based on several principles of being able to really understand what it is they're trying to talk about. So some of those principles are painful feelings that are expressed, acknowledged and validated by a trusted listener. Um, If they have those feelings and that person is validating them, those feelings will be diminished. They just will. If they think that they're understood, if they're not being chastised, if they're not being judged, if they're just simply told to stop the behavior and and move on, um, or you separate the people and put them in different spaces and, and you just keep going, they will feel like you sort of understand them. That they might go in and say, she hit me or or you know, she flicked me or something like that. And like in the particular case with that care community, um, one of the people came into the uh, general manager, the executive director's room (laughs) and said, um, she kicked me. And one of the caregivers walked in and had to say, well, she actually started it. (laughs) And what's funny about this is these are 80-year-old women. We're talking about 80-year-old women. So, again, you just have to really recognize where these people are in time. And if they're acting like teenagers, you may have to treat them like teenagers to get the point across, right? So, anyway, some of the other principles that we look at when we're trying to understand validation theory and understanding the person that doesn't speak well and and acts out and has behaviors and things like that, is that they might be having like early, well-established emotional memories that are hanging around in their old age. If we can accept that, if we can, if we can think about the things that happened to them throughout their life, maybe they had a bad childhood. Maybe they uh, didn't feel like they had the love of a parent. All kinds of things can cause those. Um, They might be what bubbles up and happens when that person is trying to communicate something. They've gone back in time, but they're speaking in uh, a tone and, and the words coming out are not making any sense. And they are uh, struggling to speak. Um, They have severe aphasia, but they're living out those those time periods anyway, just because they can't speak, just because they're having trouble speaking or what they're saying is jumbled and doesn't make sense, doesn't mean that that emotional strife isn't there. 
They're just having trouble showing it. So it could come out in something like the Mean Girl Club where they're flicking each other and putting their feet on each other and hitting each other and, you know, some of them throwing some F-bombs and the other person not saying a word because they're nonverbal. <laughs> All right. So those kind of things happen. Now, what else could happen? When eyesight fails, they use their mind's eye to see. And when hearing goes, they listen to the sounds from the past. That's huge. They might hear a song just like Gladys did. Yes, Jesus loves me. She heard that song and it woke something up in her brain. It woke something up in her brain. They could hear a poem. They could, um, they could hear uh, You Are My Sunshine or something like that. That brings them to a place where they're right on the surface of being able to speak with you and say something to you. So I think that's a really important one. When the eyesight fails, they use the mind's eye to see. When hearing goes, they listen to sounds from the past. Huge. And human beings have many levels of awareness, many levels of awareness. We are different depending on who we are with. You know, um, there are people, I have a sister uh, that makes me laugh. And yes, Sandy, if you're listening, I'm talking about you. <laughs> she always listens to my podcast and says, I think I know the person you're talking about in this podcast today. <laughs> um, my husband makes me feel loved and safe. Um, my engineer, Brian, makes me feel validated that I know what I'm talking about because he always tells me when he learns something. We have many, many levels of awareness around us that tell us that the people we are around are safe to be around, that love us, that like us, that don't like us. Um, and that gives us a cue for how we behave. So a person who is nonverbal may have somebody come up to the table who speaks another language, who might be rushing them with eating their dinner, uh, who doesn't understand that they're banging on the table means that they need something to drink or they're having trouble eating and cutting their food. Um, and so they could interpret that person coming up as being contentious or unfriendly. Another person could come up, put their hand on their shoulder and says, it looks like maybe you don't like your lunch. Can I get you something different? And they will feel understood and emotionally good about that person, even if they can't say to them, thank you, that's exactly what I wanted. They might just look up at you and, and smile. So we have to try to read those levels of awareness. And when present reality becomes painful, some of the old, old people survive by retreating and stimulating memories in the past. I want my mom. I want my dad. I want my husband who's passed away. They will bring up times in the past that they feel are real, like I was talking about at the beginning of the show, and they will have a conversation as if that time period is present. 
that they're looking for their husband because they think he should be getting off work and coming to get them soon when their husband's been dead for 15 years, right? So where those people are in time and us validating them by asking questions like, tell me more about your husband. What was it that you loved about your husband? Was he a good dancer? Did he give you good hugs? Was he romantic? Was he tall? You know, was he heavy? Was he skinny? Did you go for walks? Were you both animal lovers? Did you like to travel? So again, meeting that person where they are, and even if they can't speak to you, you could show them pictures. You could uh, bring back some music from that time period. You could... Um, I, I think photos are just huge. You could go into their room in a memory unit and sort of point out the picture of their husband and show them their husband from maybe the younger years or their wedding picture or something like that. And you might get a tear from that person and you might get a smile from that person or they may just grab your hand and squeeze your hand. Anything that they do that brings out what their emotion is, the look on their face, the, the curling up of their lips uh, to a smile, um, dropping a tear, are just so important to look at, understand, and read so that you don't miss the cues from that person to be able to communicate with them, even if their communication is skewed or struggling or non-existent. A smile, a tear, a squeeze of the hand all speak volumes in what that person is trying to tell you. So our job is to absolutely look at these uh, emotive gestures and acknowledge the loss of their eyesight, of their hearing, of their recent memory, of the social controls they had, of the of the life they used to live and try to understand that most people with Alzheimer's have a very blurry present, present day reality and can easily return to the past if they see familiar faces, like in photographs. If you can do that and not judge them as they're behaving inappropriately, they should know that their husband's passed away, they should know that they're not a young person, um, you can make a big difference in that person's day, a huge difference. And their behavior is healing their revival of the past. And I have to say that again, it's it's literally healing their revival of the past and making them feel safe and making them feel loved. And if we can understand why disoriented people behave the way they do and accepting the way they behave is the key to validating them, then the, the person who is caring for them is going to be so much better off. You're going to have great skills to be able to listen to the silence and read what you see. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Living and working with Alzheimer's and other dementias can often be challenging. Summit Resilience Training provides education, utilizing non-medical approaches for those who work with our friends affected by dementia. 
Believing families still need one-on-one assistance, we provide classes which help them understand the diseases affecting their loved ones, offering strategies and techniques for success with activities of daily living and working with confusing behaviors. We offer in-home assessments to clarify symptoms of dementia diseases and help families work together to find moments of joy while living with memory loss and impairment. Education programs instilling person-centered care philosophies are offered for professional caregivers working in communities and homes, which can be customized for their staff. Training is also available for first responders, such as law enforcement, fire, and EMT personnel. We are passionate that people with dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and others, are approached with compassion and understanding, and those who work with them have all the tools they need for success. Call us at Summit Resilience Training, 303-420-6988 to schedule a class or in-home assessment. Visit our website at summitresiliencetraining.com for more information. Welcome back to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Okay, so I'm talking about validation theory developed by a person named Naomi File, and Naomi was um, a gerontologist. She's a social worker. She's a phenomenal human being. And she has been able to reach people and work with people when they have trouble communicating. Uh, if they are speaking in word salad, if they're if they're sitting, word salad means that they say something that doesn't make any sense. Like they might say, uh, okay, "Okay, and so uh, okay, all right." And people like that, people do that in memory units. They cannot say what they want to say, but they feel like they're having a conversation with you. And what I'm talking about today is how do we read? How do we read it? How do we understand their conversation when they're having trouble with speaking, when they have aphasia, when they've lost the words, when they can't speak at all. And I'm going kind of back and forth with all of these uh, right now, but it is just so important that we understand, you know, what what is happening and how we can can look at that person and try to determine what they are trying to say to us. It's just critical if you want to still communicate with them, if you want to have moments of lucidity and clarity. So um, they in, in the validation process, they they progress through four stages of resolution. One is malorientation, one is time confusion. One is repetitive motion, and one is vegetation. So with each stage, physical deterioration worsens, and that person progressively withdraws inward like Gladys did, okay? And trying to categorize these folks is difficult. It is crazy difficult because they often wander from stage to stage. And like I said, each person is unique. So there's no real formula for figuring out, you know, who is who and what is what. And it's not even important. What's more important is looking at the concept of this validation and trying to figure out, you know, what that means. So as an example, a 90-year-old woman may be uh, oriented at 7 a.m. and at 8.30 a.m., and she may be convinced that a man is under her bed. 
At 2.30 p.m., she may demand to go home to see her mother. And despite the fact that she has fluctuations throughout the day, most people will stay in one stage of the resolution most of the time. So as an example, if necessary, the caregiver who's trying to validate her will move from one stage to the next stage to the next stage with the disoriented person using appropriate validation techniques. So when that person, the caregiver, learns to recognize the physical and psychological characteristics of these, what will happen is they will look at the resolution and say, okay, she is disoriented at certain times a day. At 8.30 in the morning, she knows it's breakfast time, so she's right on target. She'll walk down and she'll sit at her uh, table and she'll try to eat. But at 2.30 in the afternoon, she's looking for her husband. So when that happens, we know that at 8.30 in the morning, we may be able to have a better conversation with her about trying to get her in the shower. We may be able to um, have a cup of tea with her in the morning and have a conversation that makes absolutely no sense, but everybody seems very happy, uh, and which is, our, which is our goal for the day, and we don't care. If that's the best we can get out of it, that's the best we can get out of it. At 2.30 in the afternoon is a late stage time when she is very, very confused and she doesn't know where her husband is. She doesn't understand that he is not coming home from work, that he has passed away. And we would never, ever, ever say your husband has passed away. We would just say we haven't seen him in a while. We don't know when he's coming, so on and so forth. Okay, so if, if that person is struggling through that time period, you know that at that point in the afternoon, she may need to see photos of her husband. She may need to have a son or daughter call and walk down memory lane with her on a phone for a few minutes just talking to her. We may need to go through her historical past, which we learned from the intake when she came into the community in the first place, and talk to her about how many years she was married to her husband, the fun things that they used to do together, and carry on conversations with her every afternoon at 2.30 in the afternoon about her husband and the love that they shared. Even if she can't speak to you, she may hold your hand, she may listen intently, they may look in your eyes and act as though they're understanding, they may start to cry. That, that will tell you that you have reached that point where there is synergy. They're feeling your energy they understand that you care about them and that you're trying to help them through this process and that you have touched on a place where you are centered with them and working with them where they are at that point each day. I can't say it enough. Routines are very, very important for people because we are people of habit. We are. We are just creatures of habit in our lives. We get up at the same time every day and take a shower and get dressed and get out the door. We may have a cup of coffee in the morning as the first thing that we do. We eat lunch at a certain time each day. Our, our, we schedule things. We schedule meetings. We schedule times when we're recording people. We have all these different routines in our life, and they don't leave us. So if you, it, it, it goes to this validation 
process where you're trying to figure out why at 2.30 in the afternoon is this lady suddenly very family-oriented? If she has kids at that point in her, when she was younger, at that point in the day in her life, that's when she went to pick her kids up from school. Okay, so we realize that this is a mom who had X amount of kids, and this was something that she did. Maybe she was driving the kids around to soccer practice or, or music lessons or whatever it is, and she would see her husband about 4 o'clock when he finished up for the day, or she'd start making dinner about that time. So those kinds of things would make sense for her to revert back to that time period in her life where that expectation for her is that she needs to go get her kids and her husband's going to be home soon. Validation theory is not rocket science, but it helps us as caregivers to understand where that person is, okay? It's just, it's just incredibly, incredibly heartwarming and um, the connection I can't even put into words the reward when you have that connection with somebody. You just can't even, you can't know, okay? So when I was talking about those various, um, those various pieces, what do they mean? So as, as an example, the, I'm going to, I think that I have to think this through for just a second. So going back to the resolution uh, that person, we are learning to recognize their physical and psychological characteristics of where they are in time, right? That's the resolution. Where are they? That's the malorientation. That's them. It, it, it comes from the word malfunctioning, actually, where they they are not in present day. They are in another time. We just call it malorientation because we're 50, 60 years off and they needed a word to describe it. <laughs> it's kind of what happens being 50 to 60 years off when they go back in time. Okay. The second stage is time confusion, which fits with the, with the malorientation. What day is it? What year is it? What time is it? What season is it? All that is skewed. None of that is present day. It's all back in their mind. And again, Naomi likes to call them old, old people. <laughs> but with those old, old people, they are not even close to the time period it is just skewed. And a lot of that comes from the right side of the brain, the parietal lobe, where space, um, how close a person is to you, um, how, how, how deep is the step that you're stepping down, um, how, how far away is the table when you're trying to put your glass on it, how, how, um, how do you know when you look out the window and it's sunny that it's warm outside? It could be 20 degrees. So space and time are intertangled, and they are the second piece that becomes a mess, okay? Now, the third piece is the repetitive motion. So when a person is no longer communicative or they 
uh, have the word salad. And when they have word salad, they're getting close to not speaking anyway. So just so you know, I'm, I'm making that that bridge from one to the other kind of seamless because it is kind of seamless. When they're not speaking well and they have word salad, it's difficult for them to talk at all and eventually they stop. But they will start pounding like this. I don't know if you can hear this, but uh, they will pound on their leg. They will pound on people. They will shake their hand back and forth like you're shaking a salt shaker or something um, and they can't stop it. That repetitive motion is trying to say something. They're trying to say, I'm anxious. They're trying to say, someone please come hold my hand. They're trying to say, I might have to go to the bathroom. Um, when someone is having repetitive motion, they're trying to tell you something. And in the validation theory process, we have to figure out, do they look like they're in pain? Do they look like they just need a hug? Do they want to get up and walk around and can't figure out how to get up out of their chair? If they're trying to move forward and trying to get up, walk over as a caregiver, grab their arm and ask them if they need help up and take them for a little walk around the house or around the community or out in the yard. These are easy things to do. They, our goal today is to try to read the barely verbal and the nonverbal mind and look for cues to what they are trying to tell us. And the repetitive motion is huge. That generally is a person who can no longer speak, but they they will shake their hands, they will shake a foot, they will stomp their feet to give you some indication that they have an unmet need. And I want you to try to look at what are they expressing that could give you a clue to what they need. And if it's going back in time and talking about yesteryear, if it's looking at the clock and saying, oh, it's 2.30 again, it's, she's thinking about her kids, or, or it's um, almost dinner time, maybe she's hungry or he's hungry, these are the things that will give you those clues, okay? So it, with these, with these uh, I know it's deep. I know it's, it's difficult, but vegetation is the last one. And this is people who are not validated can pass through all the stages I just talked to you about. Um, but as, as we know, People who are validated need not progress to vegetation. They don't have to end up there. They don't have to die there. And um, they can die at peace. But people who are in vegetation will lay in bed and they try to get up when they can't. They are... Um, struggling to get out of their wheelchairs. They're falling out of their wheelchairs. I hear this all the time. Um, they are, the vegetation piece is where somebody wants them to sit quietly, but they're not able to do it, but they're nonverbal. So they are trying to walk when they can't walk. They are walking with the Pisa syndrome, leaning sideways. They are 
trying to roll themselves out of their wheelchair onto the floor. They're trying to get up out of bed. And if this isn't a care community, I can tell you it's bad news because a lot of care communities don't know how to deal with a person in the vegetation state. And they will tell the family they have to come in and sit with that person for 12 or 15 hours a day or have a home care company come in and sit with them. And there is not a lot you can do about it except trying to read what the vegetation is telling you and looking for grimacing, looking for wringing of the hands, looking for posturing where they are pulling up their arms or their legs like into a fetal position. Uh, as as though they are expressing that they are in pain, and um, and this might be where you need to go back to their history and learn if they have any arthritis in their body, if they have any um, back issues, if they are were ever prone to headaches. Um, could it be a physical manifestation of their pain? And if that's the case, um, you may need to ask for hospice to come in and evaluate and see what they can read from that person through this validation theory and uh, read their nonverbal uh, symptoms and their their uh, outputting of their communication and try to figure out what is wrong with them. Now, I'm going to warn you, if the person is late in late stage anyway and we're in a situation where they are kind of what I would call actively dying, if you put them on pain medications, there is a very good chance that they will die. Pain medications slow the blood pressure in a person. It can slow their heart rate, and it could cause them to take a serious decline and uh, expire. So anytime you give somebody massive amounts of uh, pain medication, that is going to signal the end of that person's existence. So if we can literally just try as hard as we can to understand that person's history and know what information we can bring forth that will calm their spirit, that will reach their their hearts, and that emotional unmet need that needs to be addressed, you're going to be able to communicate with them on a level that you never thought that you could. And there, I'm telling you, there's just nothing more rewarding than when a nonverbal person looks up at you and smiles at you or takes your hand or tries to hug you or sheds a tear because you hit on something, understanding their emotions and understanding what they're emitting to all of us. I really recommend that if you have a person that is nonverbal, get the book, The Validation Breakthrough by Naomi File. It's F-E-I-L. And read it. It's, uh, it's brilliant. And she just brings so much information and so much understanding of people that, for all intents and purposes, we would never be able to understand at this point in their disease. And she makes it possible. I, I, I would love to have her as a guest on the show at some point in time. Um, 
she is, she would probably laugh. She's an old, old person herself right now. <laughs> I think Naomi might be close to 95. Um, so no offense to all you old, old people. I love old, old people. But that's just the, that's the, uh, that's the terminology that she uses and the language that she uses in her, in her uh, book and study. Anyway, I hope you've uh, learned something today. I know it's a little bit deep, but, um, you know, we all often feel like all is lost when a person can't communicate anymore. And today's show was to try to prove to you that there are techniques that you can use that will get you to communicating with that person in some form or fashion. And you can do it. You can do it. You just have to try. All right. Well, I will see you all next week on Dementia Resilience with Jill Lawrence been listening to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. To learn more about her resources, services, classes, or to book speaking engagements, visit Jill's website at summitresiliencetraining.com. A new podcast drops every Tuesday, so join us as we learn more about dementias, resilience, and overcoming obstacles to find a positive outcome. Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz can be found on your favorite podcast provider. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Musical and technical support provided by Brian Hunter. See you next week.